Welcome to Sega Saturn Shiro, the only podcast that breaks open the secrets of both SH chips for the world to see. I'm Patrick, and today is going to be a very special episode. A couple of months ago, we did a stream for the 26th Saturn Anniversary Game Dev Competition, where we sat down with the devs while playing through and discussing the games they submitted. Because the stream was so informative, we decided to make part of it into a dedicated cast. So this week, we'll be going through the various translation patches submitted for the competition, which include Lunar Silver Star Story, Grandia, Fire Pro Six Man Scramble, and Dracula X. So without further ado, sit back and enjoy the cast. Welcome to the uh, game competition for the 25th anniversary game competition from Sega Extreme. I'm Patrick and I'm actually here with a couple of guests. Are you uh, here yet, guests? Sorry, I was muted. This is Emerald Nova. Oh yeah, how's it going? But yeah, welcome to the uh, welcome to the stream. Uh, doing some uh, fan translate the fan translations and hacks portion of the stream. So we're starting up with Grandia first, of course, by Trekkies Unite. But yeah, this is actually really good. This is actually one of the I think it's one of the first the first uh, fanlations or fan translations that we featured on the channel. So it was pretty cool. I was uh, I was super excited. Uh, when this first dropped, I think I had a Sam the SSG on, and we did a little stream talking about it. And it was kind of funny because when uh, when Trekkies Unite uh, was working on it, we had a lot of issues trying to get it working on hardware at first. Uh, so it was like we can't. It keeps locking up at this one point. So we had him send the trans the fix over, and we were uh, we were testing that out and streaming that. I think he did a video, and I did a stream of it. So, but we have actually a lot of the. A lot of the translators and the people working on the patches in the chat. So uh, we're trying to we're gonna try and go through the uh, little bit of the the fan translations and move on to the uh, the actual uh, some of the original games as well and try to get those to sort of give my views on that. Yeah, so that's uh, that's sort of what we're we're doing right now. This is a really interesting patch. I really enjoyed it a lot. I was telling them before that uh, when we first dropped this, this was big on the YouTube channel when we had it. I think it got like. 2.8k views which i thought was pretty big for the channel at the time because i think uh i think we're at like a couple hundred views so it was pretty pretty good just at the time yeah so uh i remember that uh for last year's competition uh grandia also got submitted i, I didn't know I, I i wasn't able to actually play the whole thing i didn't know how complete it was last year but apparently this is the final build this is a, or final build candidate if no bugs are found this should be it this should be the definitive way to play grandia from now on yeah no and that's what i'm really excited about cuz i think uh, saturn dave was talking about maybe getting a, uh, getting the i don't know if you ever saw any of his uh, his boxes that he does the game, custom box art but uh, he was going to get that get that all sorted and published out but he was just waiting for that final patch cuz he didn't want to oh, like got a special guest Oh sweet! Who we got? Hello, uh, Trekkies. Oh hey, Trekkies, how's it going? Pretty good. I figured I could hop in and answer questions or anything if you have any. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, I was just just retelling the situation when we first streamed it when it was like me and Sam and we had to get he to the uh, fix the the patch because it kept locking up on us at the end of this cutscene. I think oh, that was kind of funny. Yeah, there was that was back. Uh, I think it was the first beta I released, uh, where basically. That was one of the first goes where we had I had translated the uh, PlayStation script over to the Saturn format, and there's a handful of uh, control codes that the PlayStation version adds that are new that the Saturn version just doesn't understand. Hmm. So there was one of those that had kind of fallen back in by accident. So like right after the scene, it would 
send it something that I think it's basically what the PlayStation version uses as for like the fade in. And the Saturn has a similar one, but it's different. And when the Saturn got that, it's like, I don't know what to do with myself. And it just crashed. Oof. So there were, that was like what a lot of like the early beta testing was trying to do. It was trying to catch those bugs because the only way you'll find those is playing it. Yeah, for, for sure. And it, I definitely understand that it could be hard. Cause I think, uh, a lot, some of the, I think, was it you or was it you or was it, uh, was it, um, uh, what's the name? Uh, Noah Steam that wanted to get a certain save on the lunar uh, patch. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, yeah, that was that was me and uh, Mr. Conan trying to get that. Gotcha. Uh, basically, was going on with that. Uh, it's a similar situation where it's like, unless you like play through it, you're not going to find the ones where it's like, oh, this little voice clip is too big for the buffer, so it crashes the game. Hmm. So it's just that's what we've been uh, dealing with with the dub patch for that. Is every now and then there's a voice clip that you'll get that just it causes the game to crash because it's too it's either too big for the buffer or there's like there's something hard coded about it that it doesn't like. Um, which uh, oddly enough, it, some of those don't pop up in the MPEG version, which is interesting. Huh. Yeah. Do you think there's a? Do you think there's probably maybe it's like addressed some drastic code changes and sort of updates they did with that that might have caused that. It's possible because the whole disk structure is different on the MPEG version. Hmm. Uh, in the uh, like in the original release, there's basically like there's four or five folders. There's one for like all the cutscenes. There's one for all the voice clips, all the music, the battles, the fields, and that. And then for the MPEG version, they basically like turned all those into just like whole archive files. So it's basically like one file with like header information inside of it, and then it's just like one like Uber file of all the files put together. Oof. Yeah, I was so running, they kinda they uh, kinda did something like that instead. Yeah, I was running into a similar issue with that on the Resident Evil one when I was uh I was going through that, the, the all the video files were pat, uh pasted together. So I thought that was kinda weird, but I, I guess it might be sim I haven't tried replacing it yet though. It's kind of a thing where I think they did that to try and slow down to try and speed up loadings and that. Just because I I'd imagine that reduces seek time because mm. like in Grandia here all the music is just like one giant ADX file that just has indexes to tell where each song is. Huh. So if you if you open up like your Grandia disk and you look in the field directory, there's I think it's called like gm1.stz or something like that. Uh, that's just like the giant ADX archive, and if you just throw that in like VGM toolbox or any kind of thing that can read ADX files, it'll be able to go through and pull them out and play them. It's kind of neat because, like, all if you have like something you can play ADX files, you can enable looping and it'll loop the same way it does in the game. Huh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I was, I, I guess that, that makes sense though. I mean, you don't want to keep seeking or going all across the disk and make loading times even worse, or it's a it feel like like a one x, a one x read game. One thing that like people might realize, like playing Grandia, especially like if you're burning copies of it, the game really gives the disk drive of the Saturn a workout. Uh, Basically, this was like one of the first games to use ADX, and it really kind of tries to show all the bells and whistles it can do. And one of the things, like if you read a developer interview from it, they talk about one of the neat things it can do is it can keep streaming multiple streams of audio while it's still loading other data off the disk. Huh. So like what you'll notice in Grandia is like when you're going between like houses and that, the music keeps playing, the sound effects keep playing, even though it's now loading in a whole new map as it's transitioning. Hmm, that's pretty clever. So... It's doing all that stuff where if you have a bad burn or you have a dying laser or you just used like cheap CDRs, it can wreak havoc on it. Where like you'll get like 
skipping audio or I think I think like the SSG mentioned in one of his earlier videos that like he noticed audio will drop out. Whereas that's the thing of like, again, if your laser is getting old or you just used like, for example, like I have a stack of uh, just cheap verbatims I got at Best Buy years ago. Mm. Those I found were absolute junk for testing Grandia. So it was like I, I had to I had to order like professional grade from Amazon to start testing it. Yeah, so and those get pricey, especially those Tyo Uden discs for sure. Yep. And the sad thing is like real Tyo Udens you can't even they don't even make anymore. Oof. What you find on Amazon is like Tyo Uden. I think it's actually now like some I think it might be a Chinese brand. I could be wrong on that. But it's like you basically want to find I think it's professional grade or archival grade is what you need for testing pretty much Saturn games in general at this point, I'd say. Yeah, I'm hoping once we once everyone gets the the ODE situation sorted out, because I think it's kind of like I wouldn't say it's like the Wild Wild West and there's no and it's like crazy, but there's not really sort of a set standardization yet. Yeah, it, it's it's odd. Like there's there's things where everyone's doing it a little bit differently, but then they're all doing certain things the same. Every now and then, like you'll get like a bug that happens on all of them, and then you'll get one where it's like this is just an odd bug on only this one. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. I'm hoping that once we get, I think the the most stable one I've found, at least, is the Rhea and the Phoebe are some of the most stable ones, at least, to me. The one that's, like, the design I like the most is probably the Satiator, just because I like the idea that it's just, it's plug-and-play, and you don't have to rip out your CD drive. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a really good point. Like it's uh, And that's sort of why I wanted to get one, because I have a, actually have a, a, sat, a kiosk, a Saturn kiosk that I'd like to get up and going, but I don't want to keep ripping out my Rhea Saturn so I can test things and do streams. So I'm hoping... So just as a note on, on, on the ODE situation, n- none of them so far have been perfect for uh, actual emulation. So so there there yeah. isn't really... They're not really a replacement for disk. You have to test on disk if you're like... If you're really stressing out the system like uh, like Ponut is or like uh, like Grandia is here, uh, you, you can't really tell whether or not it's it's an ODE problem or if it's uh, an implementation problem. Yep, and the, like the thing we we ran into with uh, the the lunar patch, the Synpack version. What we did is like if you read Sega's spec, it says, oh, all CDs must be. I think it's like within like 650 megabytes. I think is the size limit they say, which is I think it's like 60 minutes. Whereas a CDR has more space than that, and the reason they say that is because they want you to save space for that security ring. And with us, we're like, well, this is going to be burned anyways, so who cares about that security ring space? Let's use that for extra space. <laughs> so the additional, like, the, the bigger size and nicer quality cutscenes, that took up more space, and it made the disc now go into that region where on a mod chip system, they, it still fits on a CDR, and on a mod chip system, the Saturn's would be like, oh, I just need to get that, I'll read it. Whereas with, like, I think it was, like, Mode and a couple of the other ODEs, they had, like, they strictly enforced that, that then when it got that, it was like, I don't know what to do with this, and it wouldn't boot it. Hmm. Yeah, no, that was kind of a weird situation. Yeah, it's one where it's like, technically, they're correct, that is the spec, but at the same time, it's not how the real hardware behaves if you were to give it a disc like that, that it was allowed, that, like, if you bypass the security. Yeah, for sure, like, it's it's kind of weird, because, like, I mean, is it, it's all, like, FPGA-based, all these, uh, all these, uh, these ODEs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. So I, I don't want to speak like about something I'm not entirely sure on how how they're doing it. Uh, Trekkies, actually, I, I kind of wanted to, to get a quick question about Lunar though. Uh, are, are there plans to try to approximate the MPEG version with a Cinepack version without having to use the MPEG? W- what do you mean? I mean, like, uh, like, re- repl- like, add in or replace the video files on on the uh, the normal version in order to 
you know, get like approximate. That, that's uh, what video. we've already done that with the dub version. Oh, okay. I, I haven't so I've like gotten the, far enough into it to, to actually see that because I've well, never actually so tried the MPEG version. I don't know the difference. Yeah, they're still going to be in a window. It's just it's a, it's not as small of a window. So okay. the original the original Saturn release, if I remember correctly, it's it's a very it is very tiny. It's like 192 by 152. I think is the resolution of them. Something odd like that. It's like a tiny little square in the middle of the screen. The PlayStation version, I believe, it's like 232 by 192 and we went for 288 by 200 so it's still not full screen but it's significantly better than it was i'd say and the other thing we did is to try and like a couple tricks that i did with encoding them is like one of the reasons why like that i've honestly come to come to terms with in doing a whole bunch of like fmv stuff with saturn synpack gets a bad reputation when really it's more of like they're kind of encoding with two different ideas like a lot of playstation games if you look at them they're encoding at 15 frames per second Whereas if you look at Saturn games, they're encoding at like 24 to 30 frames per second, which it may not sound like that's going to make a big difference. But the thing is, these are uh, two speed CD-ROM drives and they're limited to three, like max, you're going to like best case scenario if the stars align, you're going to get 300K per second. Realistically, you're going to get a little less than that. So if you're doing like 30 frames per second, that's you have far less bit rate per frame than you do if you're doing 15 frames per second. So that's why, like, you'll see a lot more like synpack artifacts and things like that, where you're when you're doing higher frame rates. So one of the things we did with Lunar is for the ones that weren't like doing a whole bunch of like quick camera pans and that where you'd notice it, I lowered it from 24 frames per second to 15, and it's basically like because the animation isn't that high of a frame rate, you don't notice it, but it gives you a lot like it gives you a much nicer encode. You don't get all the synpack artifacts. The people with the Sadiators, uh, now that they're coming into general release, they're going to be able to play an approximation of the MPEG version without having to get the VCD card. Right. There's still, like, I'd say I still think the MPEG version definitely looks better because it is, one, it is full screen. And two, again, another trick with synpack that you can do to get to try and hide artifacts is you lower, I think like Adobe Premiere calls this gamma, but really it's, you're lowering the brightness and contrast a little and you're boosting like the colors to make them like pop a little more so basically you do that but you end up with sometimes you can get crushed blacks in that whereas the mpeg version it's it doesn't have to deal with that problem so you might see a little more details in like your your dark areas in the mpeg version yeah one thing i actually was curious about is uh, are you going to aim for a dub edition of grandia or are you just going to keep it a subversion I was going to keep it a subversion because one, I haven't even found where the voice clips are for in-game stuff. Like they may be in that ADX archive, but no tool I've thrown at it has been able to find them. Mm. Uh, the other thing is the PlayStation version doesn't use ADX audio. That was at the time a proprietary Sega thing. Uh, the other, the other side of it is the dub is absolutely terrible. Fair enough. Those are those are good enough reasons for me. The translation itself isn't bad. It's actually like for the time it's done, it's actually pretty accurate. Like there were times where like people would tell me oh this line is terrible and wrong I'm like okay let me pull the japanese one out like i don't speak japanese but just as like to test if you get an idea of like just how far off is it let me throw it at like google translate deep l things like that and just get an idea and some that people told me are like way off i throw it in there and i get something that's word for word what sony put in there so it's like like i'm questioning how bad this translation really is and there were ones where like i'd give it to people like on the sakura wars team be like hey guys roughly what does this look accurate to you? And they'd be like, yeah, I don't get why people are complaining about that. Mm. So it's like the text translation is pretty good. And like what they're saying is good. It's just the voice acting delivery is terrible in the English dub. Huh? It's like, it's almost like they were all in different rooms. They weren't interacting with each other. And like, 
like they're all talking like in completely different tones and it's like complete mishmash yeah but individual like recording in, is industry standard isn't it yes and no. sometimes they'll put them in the same one but it's also it's up to the director's job you're like you are, this is like the tone of the scene you all have to be like in this tone and they may be like playing back the recordings of like someone else's session in that to give you an idea of like how you're to react to it whereas this it's like like there's like all hell's breaking loose and one person is like sounding like all hell's breaking loose the other person's like mild puzzlement is the way like they're talking about it so it's just kind of like it's weird like i think if there's a site out there that has like just bad dubs and like shining force 3 is like has an infamous page for it that same one has an infamous page for Grandia. And it's like, they're just bad. Oof. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a bummer. It's a shame they didn't really get really that standardization until like the early 2000s. And yeah. even, even then, it's like there's some really bad ones. Like, I think, wasn't uh, there was one on the PS2 that was just the voice actor's family, essentially. Yeah, I forget what that one is. I director, forget what it's yeah. called, but it's like Chaos Wars or something like Weird. that. I believe when you guys were doing this, you decided to go with the, go with the uh, the PSP version of the was it the Lunar? Uh, I can't remember. Right, the name of it. it's Exceed's dub. The Harmony. So they one, did it. Yeah. For, yeah, Silver Star Harmony. The reason for that is one, when Working Designs dubbed it, they did something that's kind of like a sin in anime dubbing. It's they edited the lip flaps to match their dialogue. So it's basically when you try and then like take their dub and put it on like. The higher quality like source videos we have from like the PC version and the MPEG version and the PSP mm. version, it suddenly gets horribly out of sync because they've edited the actual like animation to fit their new dub. Yeah, no, that's it's definitely a pain, uh, and I'm guessing re-editing like, the, the higher quality one to sync it up would be just too much work. It's not something I want to do. Fair <laughs> enough, I don't blame you. Just like, just, just to appease like, like, Design's fans. And I'm like, and honestly, the XC dub, I'd say, is a higher quality one. The Working Designs one, it's not bad for when it was done. It's just, there's definitely some some rough spots where it's like, it kind of suffers from that thing where you get like, either like new voice actors and that who like, they're kind of afraid to get loud in the voice booth or things like that. There's kind of some signs of that going on, which it's like, it's understandable for when it was done and like how they always like sourced, I guess, like local talent and that. It's uh, just like when you compare it to like the XC dub where it's like they got like big name like anime dub voice actors to do it. The voice actor for Alex in this one is the guy who does Suzaku in Code Geass and Nal is Shinji from Evangelion. Oh yeah, Spike Spencer, yeah. I always thought that was pretty funny. Dude, I, I really love those animes. When, once you hear it, you cannot unhear it now. I wonder if he's going to go to Pizza Hut after this. Nal, get in the robot. <laughs> I actually noticed during the battles that uh, that Luna's song, her her singing actually is different than in the uh, original version. This in the sub version. Uh, I forgot this guy has an ocarina. I thought that was weird when I played oh, the Game Boy version. I thought they were copying. I don't remember uh, Zelda. Is it? Is this version the one where we fixed the issue where like the it was still using Japanese audio in the battles? Is it using the English audio now? Yeah. Oh, that was a glitch. I thought that was a. I thought that was. A, uh, when I gave uh, Mr. Conan the files and he put them in, he didn't realize like, cause I think like when he was trying to fix it for mode users, he said, Oh, these, all these PCM files are unused. 
those were actually the ones used in the battle, and they're copy-paste of the ones in another file. And then he, when he put them in, we didn't realize they needed to go in there as well. Uh-oh. So basically, they, they need to be copy-pasted in two different directories, and we missed one. So, so they're doing the thing that modern game developers are doing. They're doing the redundant file structure, so I guess to help with loading times? Probably, because it's like the, like, it's kind of similar to, like, Grandia. You have, like, a, there's, like, a field directory that's where all, like, the, like, this part of the game is, and you have, like, a battle directory where all the battle stuff is. So, like, it goes to a different directory, and then it doesn't have to, like, go through different directories to find things. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I guess if you have space on the CD, there's absolutely no reason not to do it. Yeah. And then, like, like getting back to the dub, it's it's interesting. Like, there's certain things, like, in, like, the working designs dub where, like, they kept the Japanese audio for certain things where it's, like, like some of Luna's screams and songs are the Japanese ones. Yeah, I know she used the, the Japanese the song when she uses her healing spell in the, in the, in the uh, PS1 version of it. Yep, and then in the work, in the Exceed one, they dubbed some of those but then kept the Japanese for a couple others. Huh. Whereas, like, one thing in this, uh, like, in some of the cutscenes, like, it's very obvious for the Exceed one, I guess, like, they weren't given the original background audio for some of them. Hmm. So it's like they kind of had to, like, add it back in. They had to, like, recreate it. Whereas for that scene, like, with Alex and Luna, the Ocarina song is, it's honestly, it's a comical train wreck. It's like, the guy's, like, fumbling the notes. So it's like, it's, like, it sounds horrible. So what I did there is I took the Japanese audio and kind of did a merge between them to try and, like, say, let's see if we can make that a little better. But it's like, it was just one where it was, like, I laughed when I heard it, because it's like, it sounds like the guy is just fumbling around like an ocarina. I don't understand how you're given the, the task of, of porting the game and then the, the original developers don't just give you the assets. That's pretty common. Well, it, could be, it could be that some of the, like, original background audio is just lost. Like, the, they may have, like, the original Japanese audio at this point, like, the full final thing, but all those, like, like the piece, like, this instrument track is gone. Okay. So, so everything's merged into one master, and then they they, they may not have like the the individual assets anymore. They may not have. Okay. That At would the be very that, least. That's, just, that's my guess. Yeah. At the very least, get someone who can play the instrument. Like, like it's it's an ocarina. You could just get some a kid with a recorder and probably approximate what you need to do. That may have been what they did. <laughs> get a kid it, who, I, who's I, actually. It, it kind of sounds like that. Yeah. Don't get the C student. Get the A student. Uh, yeah, and like, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, there's certain, like, like without trying to spoil things and that, there's certain story elements where it's like Luna is singing, like, this dark evil song, and in the Working Designs one, they used the Japanese voice actress, whereas in this one, they had her dub it. And it's not a bad performance, just it's different. Uh, generally, for music, I think you'd want to retain the original language, because it's really hard to translate a song and have the meter match and everything like that. Yeah, and I was a big fan of the Luna Luna's boat song from the uh, f that the working designs did. I thought it was pretty nice. Yeah, uh, like I'd say as I've been working with like the XC dub, it's been growing on me. So I'd say like the XC dub tends to like it's more in line with like what the original Japanese song was saying, whereas working designs is more like there's certain things about it where it's not bad, but they tended to try and be more focused on trying to make it rhyme. So it's like almost every line rhymes and it gets to the point of where this is borderline cringe now. It's like, it's constant rhyming and it's like, okay, there's, there's more to making a song flow than rhyme. Fair enough. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting the directions they went with that one, and uh, it is a shame that all the masters got lost. But uh, I guess I mean the music industry is good at holding on to them. But I guess when it's a like a Japanese company, all the masters go in the trashers. Well, that that's kind of like the thing that happened with Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z in Japan. Oh yeah, with the audio uh, masters, right? Yeah, basically Toei threw out the original audio masters, so all that you have is the optical audio on the film. Yeah, and it's it sounds like garbage essentially. Yeah, it's like what's on like the Dragon Boxes is better than any other official release, but it's still not great. Yeah, it's, it's like fans have been able to. It's actually kind of like miraculous. Fans have been able to restore the original broadcast audio from VHS tapes. Yeah, but like, Toei's like, to get, like, well, we don't need that. Yeah, so it's like fans have made like their own hack where they've taken like the Dragon Box video and put in the broadcast audio source from VHS tapes. It's kind of like how the Star Wars fans did for the despecialized editions. Pretty much. Yeah. Which I just have my laser discs. Oh, same here, man. <laughs> I, that's why I got a laser disc player. But what's the resolution on a laser disc, though? It's about the same as DVD. So it's it's 480 really? by, I think it's like 640 by 480 roughly. Yeah, huh. it's, it's an analog though. resolution, so it's like it's a yeah, so it's it is a little bit softer looking. And after la- after letterboxing, it's going to be kind of small though right but the so the official dvd release of that theatrical version is sourced from those laser discs oh my god so it's like it's a it's a little bit cleaner because it's not composite mastered but it's still the same resolution it's still letterboxed and, and then it has some of its own problems yeah it's a bit of a bummer really but i mean we're gonna do right well, supposedly the rumor with that is the reason they can't do it is because in order to make the special edition, they destroyed the original masters. Yeah. George Lucas sacrificed it in a satanic ritual. Pretty much. Basically. Well, Basically, I'm... the original masters now have CGI characters drawn over them. Yeah. What I'm wondering is why I don't... I mean, they should just do what the... What Star Wars... Was it Star Wars... Was it the 77 4K or whatever? Where they basically yeah, scan they... it. Yeah, they scanned... I think it was an old Technicolor print they found. Yeah. So yeah, they should just really do that to and just like and just clean that up. That's probably their best bet. And it looks pretty yeah. good. Yeah, the despecialized looks pretty nice. Yeah, I'm realizing now how incredibly far of a departure the GBA game was from this this version of the game. Uh, I mean, this looks like nothing like the game I played. Yeah, they're they're pretty different. And then the Sega CD version is radically different. Really? Uh, but that's the original, though. I thought this would be a port yep. of the original. No, it's a remake. Oh. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot different. There's a lot more battles, and the uh, the cutscenes are are what you expect. Like they have, it's sort of like have they're, you played they're more Snatcher? like a sprite. They're yeah. more like a sprite talking over a background kind of thing. Pretty much, it's it's basically it's kind of funny. If you actually have a bad CD drive, their mouse will move out of sync because it basically <laughs> they put the they pl- play the audio over the the sprites and sync it up. So, and if your CD drive is broken, it's or it dying. It's just hilarious because, like, you see and, their mouth move, and it's like, yep. and like it just like and just like no audio plays, or it'll just like, or, or if you play it on a bad emulator, it'll do it. Yeah, the Sega CD one is very obviously like a sit more like your 16-bit style JRPG where it's a grind fest, whereas, and basically there's some differences in the plot in that, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, well, actually, you there is actually one major difference is that you miss out on a 
Bill Clinton joke if you don't play the uh, complete version. So that's uh, that, that's a game breaker for me. Yeah, it's a deal breaker for me too. So that's why I only play on the Sega CD or Mega CD version of it. But, but yeah, I think uh, I think once we're done with this battle, we're gonna move on to our next game. Let me see what's on what's on the uh, slab for this one. I think Let's we're. See, um... Yeah, let me go check. So, so on the docket, uh, we've already gone through uh, Grandia and Lunar since we got Trekkies on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, we, we, there's uh, Fire Pro, Dracula, Save Game Extractor, and oh, the floppy disk. What? Well, you don't have a floppy disk though. No, I, I only unfortunately I, I was not able to test that one for the competition, but I, I had to get my information secondhand on that one. So, uh, one one of the Shiro guys has has an actual FDD, right? Yeah, uh, Peter does. Uh, did this just lock up on me? No, it looks like he's doing something. He's trying to revive you. Or not? Uh-oh. Did it freeze? Uh, I think it might, I think I might have soft-locked. Oh. Uh-oh. That says, oh, your healer's dead. You might as well just quit now. Yeah, it, I don't know. I'm hitting all the buttons. Nothing's hitting, so... I guess uh, I guess I guess not after this battle. Sorry, guys, but uh, man, I'm getting all sorts of cool glitches and stuff doing these streams. I always love that. But uh, why don't we just check out the save game extractor and do that real quick? Yeah, uh, I have it. I have it on the stream, so I'm gonna try to. I'm doing the save game extractor copier. It's the same thing, right? Extractor copier, or no? They're actually, they're, I, I had an argument with Sonya about this because I accidentally put the wrong name the first time. They're two different programs. The extractor uh, is meant to be played on just any general uh, Saturn and should also be able to output audio stream. Gotcha. So that's that's like the primary feature is that you could play the data, literally play the data. And uh, I don't know what you, what the people on stream are hearing because I haven't muted. It's probably not pleasant. But uh, if you put up a, a recorder or you know a microphone up to the computer, and you can decode it using the tutorial he provides, and back up your save, and then you can play it somehow. I don't know how you get it back into Saturn. I forget. Oh, you have um, to put it on a CD and put it back in, like with. Service. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got to reburn it. So the the internal memory there, or not internal memory, CD memory. When you reburn the disc, you, you recreate the ISO. Huh. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to get the modem working. I'd like to make something where you could just like upload your saves to a database and download them. I we we had a lot of people looking at the netlink for a little bit, and then everyone kind of just went quiet on it. I got distracted by scenario, and water fuel was the only guy actually making any real progress anyway. Yeah. You can also dump the BIOS in here, which is pretty cool. Uh, uh. Oh, did I just get a crash? Oh. Okay, the screen's blue now, so I guess that's kind of cool. Okay, so uh, I, I, yeah, I have a lag on it. So if you, you just could press start to push through that, that's uh, that that's there on purpose. So he he intentionally uh, Slinga intentionally keeps those errors in as a debugging measure. He probably just mm. forgot to take that one out. I gotcha. Yeah, so the screen is blue now. So cool, cool little feature. If you want to <laughs> get the screen blue. Yeah. But yeah, not a bug. But yeah, Joe Engineer in here. Of course, it's probably because oh. the cartridge memory is not there, so that makes sense. I take it you do not have the floppy drive? I do not, unfortunately. Did any of the judges who are judging have that? Y- yeah. 
That, that, that'd be comical if no one judging had the floppy drive. I would honestly I, get it, but I mean, I literally don't know what I'd use it for. It's kind of more just for comical, like, yeah. talking point. I had Peter test it, and he told me it was great that it worked, so I guess... doesn't write, like, PC format floppies. They're just like, it's basically like, the Saturn says, here's raw floppy, I'm just going to write raw data to it. So it's like Oops. it doesn't have any kind of file tables or anything for your PC to understand. That works. All right, uh, why don't we move on to Fire Pro? I think Kay's still here, so we should... Uh... So now we're starting up uh, Fire Pro Wrestling on the the Saturn uh, by Malenko, and I believe I believe actually K uh, Murder Crows in here did some beta testing for you as well. So it's really cool. I know he he's really passionate about this game, and and I always wanted to try it, but it's all in Japanese. It's kind of hard hard to play. So let's see here. I remember he was, kind of, he was kind of worried about how the font would turn out, but I think it turned out really nice looking. Yeah, no, it's pretty real. It's really good. It's really nice, really nice looking font, and the game, and it looks pretty beautiful. I, I'm glad we can actually understand and see the names now. Which well, one I, thing I'm not sure did he did he end up using the tool I gave him from Sakura Wars that did the basically turn one character into two characters thing? So I remember he was he was experimenting with that for a while. Gotcha. I'm not I'm not sure in all honesty. Yeah, because this is one that like I had never even heard of this until he started translating. I'm like this actually looks pretty fun. Like if this came out, my brother, like cousins, and I would have probably loved this thing. So I was like in an era where like everyone was like into WWF and all that. Yeah, same here. I remember I played a lot of like a, a WWF Attitude on the N64 back in the day. So something like this would be kind of cool, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'd be wanting to play the 3D one over a 2D version of it. You know? I remember we had the uh, it was like WWF in your house on the Saturn at one point, and like we had all of that. I, I think Fire Pro Wrestling is supposed to be some sort of like cult classic or something like that because of uh, it's supposed to be character customization feature. Yeah, there's crazy levels of customization in this game. It's insane. It's like Kay was showing me it, and it was insane. Yeah, that, that's part of what inspired that save game extractor and copier is uh, trying to build a, a tool to uh, edit your your fighter. Oof. Yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I think I was talking to Dave about how cool the technology is that uh, that something for that purpose, like that was meant for that, really benefited the. Saturn community even greater than that. Yeah, it looks like a uh, Murder of Crows was going to speak a little bit, a little bit to that. So I think he worked a little bit more with it. So I'm way delayed um, because I was using my phone to watch your stream. Um, so I got to catch up. But uh, I'm speaking a little bit to this since um, Malenko's not here. Um, Slinga did some of the technical aspects of things, providing tools, like was mentioned. Um, and uh, a lot of the translation work for the non-wrestlers um, was done by Malenko himself, whose uh, his uh, handle, Malenko, is actually after Dean Malenko, which was a wrestler in WCW. And I think he does talent scouting for WWF or WWE now. Um, but he was known as like the man of a thousand holds. And uh, Slinga had a, a separate... Um, uh, handle uh, of Superfly based on Superfly's Jimmy Snuka uh, and then I had a Murder of Crows 
So one of like the little Easter egg things is that all three of us have created wrestlers in um, one of the save data um, where you could play as our, you know, like the character um, because D- Dean Malenko was not actually in the original game. And uh, although his likeness was and uh, Superfly uh, Jimmy Snuka was not in the game at all. And then my created character is basically based off of Eric Draven from The Crow. Oh, so you didn't put in J.R. Martin in there? No, we had uh, um, the the history of Fire Pro. If any of you guys ever played uh, pro wrestling on the NES, like same uh, genus, it's kind of like the the start of it all. Um, but it Fire Pro is like a long uh, has a long history with most of the popular titles either being from like the Super Nintendo era. Um, the Saturn one was really popular because it's the only one with six players uh, that you can have, like all six of them being human. Um, and then uh, in recent years, they uh, put out a PS4 and Steam uh, variant called Fire Pro Wrestling World. But it became super famous for having a very robust create a character, you know, create a wrestler uh, mode, um, also called edits in, in Fire Pro speak. So all of the wrestlers that you see are actual wrestlers they're um you know unless it was one that was created by uh you know an end user uh, all the in-game wrestlers were real people but to get around copyrights um and trademarks they went ahead and altered the names so um in the original japanese the character of hulk hogan in the game is listed as like axel duggan or something like that yeah, and, and you, I remember you were saying that you guys changed over the names to the official ones because I was seeing like Hulk Hogan, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, and the some of the character names. So the game came out in uh, like I want to say it was December '96 or '97. So all of the wrestlers that you see are going to be um, versions of those characters from that time period or before, hmm. as they would have been known in Japan. Um, and all of the federations or promotions are legitimate promotions um, in one way or another. They were just, again, renamed for uh, copyright purposes. But you'll find that um, wrestlers that uh, American wrestling you know, fans or you know, people who follow American wrestling might know um, because of their work later on. Uh, they actually, a lot of them got started in Mexico and Japan. Uh, particularly New Japan and All Japan Pro Wrestling. So Chris Jericho um, was known as Lionheart at that time before he joined up with WCW. And uh, Chris Benoit was uh, Wild Pegasus. But since most American wrestling fans might not be aware of Chris Benoit's history as Wild Pegasus, um, the original translation crew, we're talking about the people who hand-translated the game um, into FAQs back in like 1997, uh, chose you know to, to mention that it was Wild Pegasus, but also Chris Benoit didn't have enough um, space in the way that they did the naming structure for these guys um, to put in all the names. And you'll actually see like during the name selection, the top box will give you like the profile of the individual wrestler, but the bottom box will give you a list of all the wrestlers in that federation based on their surname. How I got involved in this um, was that I was interested in translating this game like forever, but never had like the the technical prowess um, at the time to do it. 
And I got involved in a couple of translation projects, and they all kind of fizzled out or lost data over the years. But um, Slinga and I had actually spoken, um, I believe, back like 10 years ago um, without knowing, you know, uh, again, who each other was. And one of the things that I had wanted to do back in those days, um, you had uh, a lot of websites that were dedicated to uh, FirePro edits, which is essentially, you know, the, the creative wrestler mode. Um and these edits, because we didn't have, you know, the internet um, as we have it today, where we could just download files to our consoles, um, what they did was they created a template uh, where you would just go through and like, okay, choose move number 21 um, in this position, choose voice number two of this position. Um, and then you just have that pasted onto a web page and you'd, you know, meticulously go through to create um, or recreate whatever wrestler someone else did. And the um, at the time, Saturn was pretty interesting because you could have, um, with the expanded, uh, like the official save cartridge, um, you could have like an additional 80 wrestlers on top of the normal, you know, like 16 or so. Um, so one of my projects was to go through the internet and try to find all of these websites uh, with all of these old templates and preserve them. And, you know, just so that we could have them in the game later. But there were far more templates um, for edit wrestlers than there were spaces available. And most people won't have the save game cartridge to be able to expand it to an additional 80. They'll only have the internal memory for 16. So Slingo wanted to produce um, a save game that had wrestlers uh, that most people in the U.S., you know, like the the audience for the translation project... Uh, would know. So Stone Cold Steve Austin, for example, is not in the game. We'd have to create him. Uh, the Rock's not in the game. You know, Triple H is not in the game. So all the, like, the big names from the Attitude Era, basically the Attitude Era was just on the cusp of happening for WWF um, when this game came out. And so yeah, that was the, the project was to try and just go through all of these uh, you know old edits because I saved a lot of them back in like 1999. <laughs> Uh, and I managed to still have all those you know, or most of those data. Uh, and then I went through like the archive projects, like archive.org's Wayback Machine, to try and find all the GeoCities websites uh, and all the Angel Fire websites that people put up with all of this old uh, edit wrestler data. And so, yeah, we, we were just going to call it out to you know the best 16 that we could find. Um, and then one of those, you know, three, three of those, I guess, were going to be one for Dean Malenko. Um, based on an, uh, an edit that I had from you know the late 90s, uh, one for Superfly Snuka, um, you know, representing Slinga, and one for me, which was Eric Draven, that I was like a, a custom creation. So on the screen I'm seeing right now, you're in the death match. What's interesting about the death match is that the it's a steel cage. Um, it looks like glass, but it's actually barbed wire. If you look really closely, you'll see like these little barbs that kind of give that glass effect. Um, so, yeah, when you throw wrestlers into that um, steel cage, it's electrified. It gives them a little shock. And if you let the time uh, run out, there's these little black boxes on the outside. If time runs out, like if you set it for five minutes, um, the cage will explode. Like all those little boxes are bombs huh. and it knocks everybody out in one shot. The game is not like your traditional wrestling game from the era. 
like people are, are kind of used to like WrestleFest and like WWF superstars from, from like the late 80s, early 90s, where it's basically like a button masher. Um, in this game, audio is very important. Uh, and also like visual cue timing. So when you see the wrestlers lock up and the moment they touch, there's a sound that plays. because kind of sounds like a clap or something. And that's the moment of execution. So there'll be like a kind of like a rock, paper, scissors effect. Um, you, if your wrestler is, you know, super strong and healthy and um, not overly tired uh, and your opponent is a little bit more tired, then you've got the opportunity to pull off a slightly stronger move, but your timing still has to be correct. It's not super intuitive at first, but once you actually get it, like once it clicks, um, it's a lot of fun to play. I mean, used to have in 1999, I'd have like a bunch of people over and we do um, six men battle royals um, and tournaments with this game. Um, but it became super popular because of the created wrestler mode, which is more than 50% of the game, I think. Whereas every other wrestling game out there, you have like a story mode, you have your exhibition matches and such. Um, what this game specialized in, again, in 1994 or 5 for the Super Nintendo, 1996-7 for the Saturn version, is that you have a highly programmable artificial intelligence. And it was possible to be able to pretty closely, not 100%, but pretty closely um, simulate what a wrestler would do in real life. And I'm using that with air quotes. Hmm. Um you know, so when you create your character, if you know fifty percent of the time when he is on the floor uh, of the mat, he will you know appeal to the crowd, right? Do some sort of teaser move to the crowd. Uh, then you could actually recreate that. Or if you know you knock your opponent to the ground, twenty five percent of the time he'll pick him up. Fifteen percent of the time he'll drop an elbow. Ten percent of the time he'll try and do a pin. You know, whatever you could do through analyzing, quote unquote, real matches, you'd be able to simulate in the game. And this became popular with E-Federations, where you would create a wrestler and simulate entire cards against other people's wrestlers and see what would result. So super nerdy, and it crosses over with pro wrestling, which is... Not necessarily the most nerdy aspect of things, kind of considered a little. I don't know. I, can, I consider wrestling fans a bunch of nerds. Well, it's, it's considered lowbrow, right? In, yeah. it, versus you know other topics of uh, you know interest. Yeah, but I suppose. the simulation factor is really what drove this game, in my opinion. So playing on Victory Road, that's where uh, Malenko was uh, focusing a lot of his time in recent months. Um, so I would take the screenshots of the game, you know, like what the text was, and uh, he'd go through and translate it and then try to figure out, you know, how best to use the characters um, you know, that were available. And I got to tell you, the change, uh, being able to use that utility, um, it, it completely broke open the ability to uh, get a lot of work on the translation done. Like it, everything was, it was night and day between the two. Um, so I know that he was super uh, happy uh, about that. I um, can't remember where the, the tool came from. I'm sorry. Oof, yeah, I'm, I pretty much lost that one. So yeah, this guy, what the heck is this guy doing? 
I can't see your screen live or delayed. Just like any other wrestling game, there's exhibition match options that you have. And then after the match is won for about, I don't know, 10 seconds or so, you can pretty much wail on your opponent. It was uh, good being able to talk with you about this since I got to run to work shift now. Yeah, fair enough. It was great having you on explaining that to me because I'm not the biggest wrestling guy. And and you probably probably have more insight than I would on the 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 translation passage. You were one of the beta testers for it. Yeah, I mean, I was actively involved in trying to figure out what some of these things were going to be called. Like, you know, the the programming work was all done by Malenko, you know, actually getting the characters in. Um, thanks much to the community for the tools. And then Slinga helped provide tools for us to do extraction and figure out where uh, the save game, you know, was doing things. Little known fact, I mean, we spent uh, a huge amount of time um, with the pallets. Uh, each wrestler in that is built into the game has actually six different outfits, one of them being close to the real-life outfit. But it took Slinga quite a bit of time to figure out where all those pointers were so that we could you know, actually customize which uh, button correlated to which outfit or change the outfit colors. But anyway, I got to run, and thanks for letting me, you know, word vomit. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Thanks for coming on the stream, man, and uh, hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. So, um, so we move to the next game, which would be Dracula X, or, or was it Nocturne of the Moonlight, or Symphony of the Night, depending on where you released that. And this one was actually by Knight of Dragon, which is uh, pretty prominent in the community right now, especially for a lot of his, uh, a lot of his uh, game patcher resources, which I find pretty useful. Especially the fact, I'm surprised he didn't even enter that one. I don't think it would count, though, would it? I'm not sure, because it doesn't really run on the Saturn. Uh... Yeah. I just want to say re-encoding these FMVs reignited my hatred for Windows 95. Uh, you're, oh, you actually re-encode them in Windows 95? That is the only operating system I had access to that I could use the codec. Oof. Okay. So what we, ha- we have is basically a leaked version of Duck's like, SDK that has their codec. And the only and you'll notice, like, there's, like, honestly, I think it looks kind of crappy because of the color banding going on. And it's basically the only version we have to re-encode is the 15-bit RGB one, and we don't have the 24-bit RGB one. So it's like, it's still better in that it's full screen, the frame rate's a lot higher, but uh, some people say it looks better. I personally am like, yeah. So so funny story is that uh, a lot of the original Saturn tools are on deprecated uh, operating systems, like uh, for the original, uh, a lot of the original tools, the Windows 95, I think a lot of the original sound tools are... Or like the old Macintoshes, like yeah, the, so the Bowdaker ones. For encoding uh, Synpack, you will hear me constantly swearing at Mac OS nine. Yeah, that's that's what I was not, not looking forward to for the uh, Resident Evil thing I was working on. It's like, oh yeah, I, I looked at his guys like, oh yeah, you have to go download a a Mac and and put it on a virtual machine. It's like, oh okay, you have a real Mac you can do that, but you can run it on a real Mac. It's just I don't know anyone who has a. Like, I have a Mac from that time, but I have no way to get data on and off of it. Yeah. I, th- I think at this point, it's probably better just to use a virtual machine. They had USB drives, I think. That I don't know if they could actually read modern USB drives, but I think they had them. The iMacs did, but, like, we need, like, PowerPC, like, 90s-style Mac. Like, yeah, if you have an iMac, that would probably work, but I don't have one of those. 
I have a Performa Power PC edition. I used to have a, an iMac, but I think I sold it yeah. to Millennium Shane because I didn't want it. Yeah, so I, I have that, and I have a Macintosh SE, which that's kind of useless for anything on this. Yeah, I think uh, Mikey Vids uh, asked a question that I think gets asked a lot: is if you can actually patch the four meg uh, cartridge version of the the ver- the game on with the English translation. I believe that's a no for now. Yeah, I'd say like a majority of the improvements that people talk about from the four meg patch are placebo. Yeah, I, I think we talked about that earlier. That you said it was like a, it was a they thought loading isn't that much faster or whatever. But Trekkies actually has a video on his uh, on his channel, his YouTube channel, that shows yeah. like a recording. You could literally just take a, take out a stopwatch and see what the effect is. Yeah, it's basically the only thing it really improves is bringing up the menu and the map screen. Everything else is pretty much placebo. And honestly, I found the loading times going between areas was worse on the four meg patch. But I think I think night when you get your uh, audio si- situation dealt with, I think you actually improved the ment bringing up the menu anyways by getting rid of like the high res mode right yeah i actually tweeted that out it's a it's really cool I'll, I'll show it in a little bit once we get to the pausing i do have to applaud you that that uh that change you made with the menus was like game changing for upscalers yeah that was a big thing to uh, paul met he's the guy for stuff like that once he, he he actually did that for some kind of test or somebody else i'm like oh i could use that to my advantage and that's when i started changing all the uh maps or whatever screens to the low res mode instead of the high res. Yeah, it's nice. It's I, I guess a lot of people would be we kind of miss just that high res menu, but to be honest, it's more of a hindrance, especially nowadays for capture devices, than it is a a positive of the game. Sadly, well, the only thing that high res did was the uh, kanji for aliasing purposes. Yeah. So and and I and I see you use like a completely different font, or is the font uh, the same on and simply in the PS One? I don't remember it being that that style though. No, no, it's a completely different font. Gotcha. Yeah, I was like, it looked a bit different from when I last played it. Yeah, um, I don't have... That's on my laptop. I forgot what the name of that font was. You should have made it Comic Sans, in all honesty. <laughs> I'd say you definitely deserve it, like, a pat on the back for, like, dealing with, like, the nightmarish hell this game is for how it's programmed. It, it was a challenge, but it, it was fun. I think possibly, like, the biggest, like, that made me, like, as, like, as you were, like, looking into it and we were all, like, trying to, like, help you find some things... The biggest, like, what the hell moment was when we realized the text for, like, the dialogue boxes isn't actually stored as text in the game. It's just, like, hard-coded graphics. Yeah, for the actual stories, not the items, that's all done on a different layer entirely. And the way they did that was a mess, too. Pretty much every... They load it just sits there, whether you see that scene or not. But I'll I'll show off the, the menu real quick. So as you can see... You can actually get to the menu in a reasonable amount of time instead of the two weeks it takes you to usually load it up. So you can get all the items. And see they use this new cool little font. That's kind of neat. So why exactly did you go with the, this new font versus the uh, the one that was present on the PlayStation version? Uh, I think the one the PlayStation version was 8x8. I just thought it looked horrible when I had the uh, 8x16 option. And I just found the font to fit. I, I think it looked a lot better like this than it does in the PlayStation version. Just the resolution change that sped it up? Um, Two things. The resolution change and not loading in that huge kanji font that was like 500 kilobytes or something like that. I remember the actual size. That took up like half the Saturn RAM on that menu. The PlayStation version now, how fast it's loading, isn't it? Uh, That I don't know. 
Do they not keep the font in memory? No. What? So every time you press the start button, it has to access an entire font sheet. That that sounds ridiculous. Yep. That loads every kanji character, not just like a certain one that they use at the time. There's a lot of ridiculous things about this uh, game. There's no way they filled up VRAM to justify like, doing that. That's well, so like like we were saying, like the story dialogue text. Like right now, the scene with death. If you bring up a VDP2 VRAM viewer, that text exactly as it displays in the text box is sitting there in VDP2 VDP2 VRAM, wasting a background layer. But why though? That's just how they did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's like it's when you perfect look, question for that. It's like it's like. Knight can probably go into this more, but when you like start poking at this game, you realize it's like it explains why it's just it runs and does things so badly. Yeah, the the, the whole "sorry we suck" document. But yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I actually I was watching a John Lenneman video on, from DF Retro on the on the on the oh what's going on with that little overlap going on there. I actually have no idea. I'll have to look into that. I haven't seen that. And we're catching all sorts of bugs on the stream. <laughs> The best possible way of finding bugs on your game is to play it live for an audience. Uh, that's that's probably why I made you know such decently fast progress on the scenario engine, despite it not being done, is because the majority of the development was like live. So every time I screw something up, I have at least Ponut or a few other people that know what they're doing tell me what I'm doing wrong. Yeah, I actually felt really bad when I when I played the I played this the first stream of this, and it was just like I get glitch after glitch and get soft locked. Or like, I run into the, the the issue where I run into an item and the the game freezes up on me. It's like, oh geez. That's why with Grandy, I just did it like as an open beta because it's like I don't have time to like do every single permutation here, and like just having other people play it is better for me to find bugs. But but yeah, it's uh, but for the most part, it's running great now. I was playing it a bit, and I didn't uh, really run into any issues whatsoever. I think that I think I don't know if maybe I missed that that death thing though. Because when I I could have sworn I yeah I don't know why I missed that before. I guess a lot of people missed it because I don't remember anybody mentioning that. The only bug that I know about right now that I have to fix is with Dieselbub. I haven't had a chance to go and test that yet. The dialogue with Dracula, but I thought you fixed that one in like the one dot Yeah, that one I did get, and there was some kind of uh, end game. Like if you got a bad ending at the end. I fixed that one as well for 1.0. So I wonder if, like, because if you're not loading that kanji file now, I wonder if that speeds up the load time between areas, too. I don't think so. I don't think that gets uh, loaded at that time. See, I think I think we were talking before about the... Yeah, we were talking about that 4 meg cartridge. I'm, I'm guessing that uh, it's not really possible at this time because uh, I think you were telling me it was because of the, the, the architecture differences they made to that 4M change? Yeah, he changed a lot of code, and uh, the code that I changed does not plug into the code that he changed. So I was like, I'm not wasting my time investing this when the gains from that four megabyte or four meg cart wasn't really that great from what I was seeing. Even when I was trying it out, I didn't see anything. Like all the benefits that people want, I plan on implementing anyway. And I don't see why uh, that four megabyte cart is even needed. Yeah, no, I I know you were, you were saying before that you're going to change some of the layers and stuff where it's not, where it makes a little bit more sense to get those gains, right? Yeah, like for the map part, I plan on having it work with, like like how the PlayStation version works, where you hit the map button and it just shows up while you're playing. Because there, there's two extra layers that I have in this game. 
the one west the VDP two text. I'm gonna I plan on moving that to VDP one. And then there's there's an actual debug layer that you can't see that just sits there and gets wasted. So I plan on using that layer for the map. That's so bizarre. So is it potentially we're going to get maybe real transparencies on some of these objects in that case? That I don't know. I gotcha. Transparency oh. requires a special rendering technique. It's not a simple draw command. It's a, I mean, you, you have to basically like draw one thing first and then draw another one thing on top of it or something. You have to specially program that in. You can't really patch it in, I don't think. Well, no. it depends on how you're doing it too. Like there's ones where if it's a VDP1 one, you can just set a flag in the command. But it's like you have no idea what mode the game is in right now, and it could just, like, blow up horribly. The only flag I'm aware is, is like, a mesh transparency, but not, like, a true transparency. I didn't know that SGL had something where you can just... It's, one. I, it, it's just it's just simple uh, 50-50 blending, I think. But you can do it if you just set... It's I'm not talking about, like, SGL. It's, like, the actual, like, assembly code that gets sent to VDP1 in its command table. Oh, okay, there so you have to construct a command table, but I, I thought that's what the attribute command did. I'm not sure. I haven't actually dug into SGL much, but I know, like, because I've played with it, like, with Grandy to see if I could change some of the checkerboards in it. And you can do it. It's just it goes kind of, if depending on what mode you're in, you can get really bizarre results. So I think didn't Paul uh, Knight didn't Paul Met try that with the text boxes? Yeah, he did. But then he was having issues because of these being uh four bit colors. Like at one point, uh, what's his name, Alucard would have have a rainbow effect going on if you're underneath a certain layer right because it's it it only works like like 100 percent of the time if you're in like 15-bit rgb mode correct yeah and that's so. uh that's actually how uh xl2 does all of his 3d rendering all of his objects are uh i believe are uh no they're clut they're clut sorry but uh i think whenever he's not doing that he's doing something with uh, rgb mode for whatever yeah. graphics he's doing to do that effect you can do them with like palettes and lookup tables, but like you have to like everything has to be specifically laid out and planned perfectly, if I remember correctly, for it to work. Yeah. Otherwise, you get like like Ponet's probably in here just like saying we're all idiots and telling us the proper. <laughs> He's more than welcome to hop in and uh, explain it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the point is, uh, th- the thing is, anytime anyone tries to say something definitive about Saturn hardware, they're gonna be wrong about at least one thing. It's it's impossible to be 100 percent correct whenever you're talking about Saturn. And the point I want to make is that transparency is very difficult, and we should all be impressed when XL2 does it. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the VDP1 document handles it well. Like, hits the nail on the head with it. Results are not guaranteed. <laughs> for, what, uh, for what we got so far, this translation is just, like, fantastic. Because, like, I mean, like, just those little fixes is actually one of the reasons, I guess, why I picked it for the, the, the highest ranking. Because I just love the, the absolute fixes on it. And just the uh, just the quality of life fix is just amazing, especially nowadays where everyone's like ha- where everyone has a rad two X or a frame meister, some sort of upscaling solution, and the CRTs are kind of going away. Yeah, like when it's when it's all said, and I'd say probably like the most egregious thing that's like just unfixable on this is probably the resolution change. I don't I don't think there's like any way you're gonna fix that. What do you mean? So it's like the PlayStation version is two fifty six pixels wide. Oh, and then- that one stretch everything to 320 like instead of just extending the view plane that uh, I don't think there's any easy way to fix that i think i prefer a color box well so the problem is all the graphics are pre-scaled so we did you did confirm that right knight yeah they're all pre-scaled so matthew has an interesting question uh i don't know if it's popped up on on mm-hmm. the feed yet but uh it's it, he wants to know if there's a way to get 64-bit parallel processing 
Uh, okay, well, Pona has a short answer. Uh, <laughs> I was going to give a long answer for that, but but, but basically, uh, what sometimes when we do multiplication, yeah, okay. So Pona's answering it before I even get the chance. Okay, Pona, just get on chat then. <laughs> Taking all my thunder. So for multiplication and division and stuff like that, when you have two 32-bit numbers that are being manipulated with the, with each other, there are special places in memory, the 64-bit registers, where you take a portion of that 64-bit and, you know, the central 32 bits when it's multiplying stuff like that. Uh, so that's like the only real 64-bit processing you do. But but it's really, it's it's a limitation of what you can address in memory. Pona, did you uh, did you eat your mic? Did I eat my mic? That's that's legitimately the first time I've ever heard his, his voice, actually. I don't I've known know Pona for like I'm two years. Or not. You're audible. I can hear you. For oh, the first okay. time in two years. I, I've, he's, he's been on my stream for two years. I've never been in chat with him. Well, that's because I'm terrible. So, so Pona, ex- explain why the Saturn cannot be a 64-bit system, despite all the extra processors. All right. So 64-bit, when people, there's, there's a variety of different reasons why you might call something 64-bit. The primary reason that you would call something 64-bit would be the register size. And the Saturn does have a 64-bit register. It's split into two 32-bit registers, but it is split because it has to work with the other 32-bit registers. By itself, it's 64-bit. But only one register is like that on each SH2. And that is only used for multiplication. However, I just said something that's false because there are two. There's one in the division unit. So, yeah. (laughs) I guess while you're in here, I guess I had a not generalized question... But uh, why the ponies? Uh, be- because I love them. Fair enough. Very simple. To quote the Saturn dev channel in Sega Extreme, Sega Saturn, for masochist developer that appreciates unnecessarily complex hardware yielding little to no gain. Yep. Death by VDP1 and VDP2 restrictions. So just bringing up like the VDP1 transparency yeah. thing, if I remember correctly, the lamp lights there are VDP1 transparency, aren't they? That I don't remember. So, so the division, opponent uh, can correct me after I describe it incorrectly, but uh, essentially you take a 32-bit number, you got to shift it all the way over to the left so you have room to divide it, and you divide it by another 32-bit number, and then whatever's in there, you kind of have to grab that. And uh, out of that 64-bit space, you grab the 32-bit space that you actually get back, and that's your 32-bit div- uh, quotient. There was one video I saw recently where it was, like, it was a guy who was like a, I guess he's a big-name speedrunner of Symphony of the Night on the PlayStation. It was like his first time playing the Saturn version. His reaction was like, what the hell is this? So I guess like, <laughs> it's like people who really know the game well, it doesn't even like feel the same. Oh, uh, yeah. Because of all the slowdown. Yeah. I said like even just things like he said, like jumping just doesn't even feel snappy. <laughs> yeah, speed running, you, you need like a, a feeling t- down to the down to the frame or sometimes even to, to the subframe. Uh, of what what things are going on, I think even Super Mario Brothers has subframe timing that you have to get right. So, to answer Ehal's question, yeah, basically 64 bits divided by 32 bits becomes 32 bits. 32 bits times 32 bits becomes 64 bits, and that's why you take the central 32 bits out of that 64. Uh, and if it overflows, it overflows. Actually, when you multiply a fixed point number, 32 bit fixed point number, and it is a Q16 by 16 format. In other words, you have 16 bit of integer and 16 bits of decimal when you multiply that you're actually bound by the 48th bit and this is what the SCU DSP does it has a 48 bit register for multiplication okay so, so if it tries to overflow past uh, bit 48 which would be bit 32 after the shift uh, it'll just kind of cap out at uh, at that maximum number 
Well, 32 by 32 bits always caps out at the 48th bit. It won't go past that. Okay, yeah, because... Yeah, okay, yeah. Because the biggest number you can represent is 2 to the 16. Wait um, a minute, shit. So, Knight, did you did you update the uh, title screen? Because it looks cleaner than I remember it. Yes. Yeah, the other one was like a really pushed, ugh, blurry version. Yeah, I yeah that, really... that looks really nice now. So, uh, Uniform Gamer is asking about a flagship Sonic game for the Saturn, and XL2 beat everyone to it, Sonic Z-Treme. So just uh, play Sonic Z-Treme and then play the Sonic uh, Metal Sonic boss fight demo. That's that's your flagship game. That's what Sega should have put out. You know, what should happen is someone should get Sonic Retro to start doing ROM hacks for Sonic Jam, because there you have an official Sonic engine made by Sega on the huh. Saturn. Okay, there's that, but it's also a terrible port that I hate. So I'd rather we just... I mean, uh, it's, it's basically just, it's the last iteration of the Sonic engine from, like, the Genesis. It's like Sonic and Knuckles, and then it just plays the other games, basically. Well, I mean, see, there's something different about it. I can't place it, but but the physics are not exactly what they are on Sonic 3 and Knuckles on the Genesis. And obviously, the, the audio problems are there. I guess you could just fix that with uh, another PCM. Yeah, the audio is just pretty I... What I'm saying is you have an engine there you could start using as a base. I, I think what would be a better idea is that Sonic Z Treme is open source. And all the tools are... Well, I'm, the map maker's not there. But the model maker is there. So uh, assuming that XL2 ever actually opens up his uh, his map format, uh, people should be able to just mod Sonic Z Treme and just add levels. And the, the levels aren't very big on the disc, so you can actually add a lot of levels. It could become the new Sonic World just on Saturn. Hmm. I was actually thinking something similar for the Cube Cat with the its level design. There could be some sort of map editor just be able to add level custom levels to it. It's like a Mario Maker or something. So the thing about tooling is that it's always a lot of work, and it's usually worth it in the end if you're having a full scale project. But a lot of times we just want to get something out there. Oh yeah, no, I know that for sure. So a map editor, it, like the only one I'm aware of is the Joe Engine one, and I have no clue how to use that. And it's only for 2D anyway. Yeah, my my, yeah, my 3D is... levels are programmatic. Conant has a completely different system. XL2 has a completely different system. Unless it's changed from when I looked at it last, isn't Joe Engine's map all entirely on VDP1 as well? Uh, that sounds kind of like yeah. how I did for Sacred Plane, and that's I I buy it. Yeah, so it's kind of like that. That to me is kind of like you should probably be doing those on VDP2 planes. Yeah. Or even so, like a Sonic. Yeah, so so VDP2 support only just recently got added to Joe Engine, far after the map editor was made. And uh, I never actually learned how to use VDP2, so all of my uh, maps on Forsaken Plane are just VDP1 sprites drawn behind all the other ones. VDP2 is also kind of like vomit-inducing at times. Oof. In what sense? <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the oh. documentation is just all over the place. It's 95% accurate. It's missing several key functions uh, whenever you need to look something up. And uh, everything forget, has its own set of examples. I forget who I saw say it, but basically they, they kind of hit the nail on the head when they said VDP2 is so over-engineered it doesn't even know how to figure out its own RAM timing. Oof. <laughs> yep. Like, you have to give it that. And if you get it off by, like, one, VDP2 now vomits rainbows on the screen. So, but wait, why isn't that standardized though? Like, it's it's everything should be based off the system clock, right? Isn't SMPC controlling all that? Apparently not. So, like, that's the thing I ran into with uh, Grandia. Like, uh, I have a video on my channel showing it basically. Like, 
Uh, there's a cutscene basically where in the Japanese version and the original PlayStation version, like the English version of it, it's just voice. There's no text. And in the HD remaster, they added the text boxes in, which worked fine for them. But when I tried to do it in the Saturn version, I found out that how they were actually loading into different maps quickly is they're not actually loading in maps. They're just showing like a, a screenshot and it's just a VDP background, VDP2 background. And then they're draw and then where they put it is the same place where the buffer for the text box is. So the problem I ran into was I had to basically do a whole bunch of rearranging in VRAM to get space for the text box again while still showing the background and re-enable the right background image uh, layers and everything. I had to get the VRAM timings just right, and this is where we found out that basically just about every Saturn emulator out there is fudging VDP2 like horribly. So like I was throwing at VRAM timings that they worked perfectly fine in like Mednafen, SSF, Yaboos, all of them. But then when I throw it on a real Saturn, I just got pixel vomit and like vomiting rainbows in that so it's basically like it was like a whole bunch of trial and error and i had a oh i can't pronounce his name uh mr kotfw he was he mr. was in there. yeah he, he was basically just sitting there just like try this he was basically there sitting there like going through i think like all his y'all documentation going try this one try this one this one should work but we'll, we'll try this one and it was basically like just i probably went through about like 20 tayo yudin cdrs testing that oof rip <laughs> Dude, you need to get yourself an ODE. Well, yeah. uh, I think at the time, like, mode still wasn't out, and Satiator was, like, Patreon beta testers only. Yeah, not to mention you probably would have to, you'd have to try to try to pray for Rhea or Phoebe, so that's, like, gotta get lucky on those. Oh, yeah, the GDMU releases, like, once a decade or something like that, and it's at, like, 3 a.m. on Polish time or some silly thing. Uh, but yeah, if if you guys need me to test uh, a build on Sadie or like just ping me, I need to actually get myself one. I'm I've been waiting for uh waiting waiting for Professor Abrasive to drop that, but I'm not sure how long it's going to be until he does that. So we we have a we have a follow up question about Sonic Robo Blast Two, What's and it? the short answer is that Sonic Robo Blast Two is an advanced copy of the Doom engine with a lot of added bells and whistles, and the Saturn can't even handle Doom in its original state. Well, that's not entirely true because it handles Hexen just fine, and that's the Doom engine, and it's actually okay. doing software Doom rendering in Hexen. Okay, so 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 I, I kind of skipped a few steps, but the point is, there's too much stuff in Sonic Robo Battle to actually do a proper port. Uh, if you put effort into it, yes, Saturn can handle Doom if you like actually made it right. Yeah, I, th I think it didn't have to do with Drone Carmack. Thinking it'd be a good idea to use the sound chip to handle a bunch of processing. The DSP. Yeah. Okay, so the thing about the DSP is when you use it, you're taking away uh, memory access to one of the dual core processors, your main processors. Uh, I don't, I don't think anyone has found a gain using the DSP aside from maybe Game Hut, uh, when they could have just been doing stuff on the slave. Hmm. Pona can correct me because he's actually played with the DSP. Uh, which DSP we're we talking about? Uh, there's yeah. two. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, I hate this so much. <laughs> the one you use to like break emulators oh uh that's the scu dsp it is a logical processor um it is not attached to the sound system in fact it can't work with it can't work with the entire video and sound system properly at all it is because of how it accesses ram it is entirely confined to using high work ram basically the most valuable ram on the saturn it has to use whenever it has to go outside of its own local cache and 
It does not have a whole lot of local cash. It doesn't have a whole lot of program RAM either. So if you have an especially, an especially complicated program, you must take time to do a program change, which the SH2s have to do for it. So you're really limited on the complexity of what you can get it to do. However, it is a logical processor, so it can do theoretically a lot of things. Basically anything you can come up with, it can probably do. Just can it do it fast enough to be worth doing over an SH2? Specifically because that it is terrible at accessing RAM. That's really the only reason you don't really want to even think about it. So like one example I can think of off the top of my head that uh, Nanash found out with Grandia is it uses it for the uh, YUV to RGB color conversion for the uh, FMV codec. That's true. I, did, I remember that. That's very cool. So, what's the, what's the other DSP? Is that the, is that connected to the 68K? That is the SCSP DSP, or the Saturn oh, okay. Custom Sound Processor DSP. That is, ostensibly, it's attached to the actual DAC, the Digital Audio Converter. That is really what that's attached. And I mean, so, like, the, the, the point of a, of a digital signal processor would be, you would assume, this exact kind of job, sound processing. It is ostensibly only used for reverb, uh, stuff like that, making uh, echo. That's the kind of effects that they put in the driver. Also, I would like to say real quick that Dracula X ran way better than I thought it did, so I'm probably going to play that. Second thing I wanted to say a long time ago about the Saturn versus PlayStation is the Saturn is actually always double buffered. Pretty much, you're always double buffered on the input, which means Saturn games are going to have a little more input lag. I don't think most of us notice or care, but it's something worth noting. Thanks for listening, everyone. It was a blast doing this, and hope to have them on again to talk more soon. If you're interested in getting involved with game development, especially for the Sega Saturn, Check out the Sega Extreme forums and Discord, or hop on our own Shira Discord, where we discuss all things Saturn, including game development. Thanks for checking out the latest podcast, and remember, you must play Sega Saturn. <laughs>